Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. I am your host, Taylor Davis, joined by my girl, McKenna Kelly. We are here to break down all things gymnastics for you today. So we have a fun episode planned for you. We're going to talk a couple college storylines, a little bit happening in the elite world. And then at the end of the show, former Michigan gymnast Olivia Karras is going to be joining us. She's a good friend of McKenna's, and she actually is the one who kind of sparked one of our conversation topics today. So she's going to weigh in on our conversation, catch us up on what's been happening since her time at Michigan. So we've got a great show for you today. We're excited that you have joined us. So McKenna, how is everything going? I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but uh, you are now working for the Houston Texans and and kind of getting into the professional side of things. And, and we've talked about that, you know, your life after gymnastics, you wanted some of that structure and, and what that transition has been like for you. So how's, how's all of that going in this new stage of your life? You are so sweet to ask. It has been so, so good. Um, so, I mean, I, the job I have working with the Texans, I mean, we we do all of like the little bitty work that no one wants to do. We set everything up, we work <laughs> the events, and then we break down. So, I mean, it's long days, but like like we've talked about in previous podcasts, I've really missed working hard and I really missed structure. And the kids I work with, I say kids because I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a kid, but the, the other, my coworkers are all my age and some of them are still in school. So, it's really good to work with, um, you know, other people who are my age and kind of in the same boat as me, which has been so nice. Um, the hours are really flexible. It's It's been really, really good. And I really love the Houston Texans and what they stand for. They have a great culture. Um, and my sister, actually, my older sister, when she graduated from Baylor, this was her first job. And so um, I know she really oh. enjoyed it. And they, they helped her immensely when she moved from Houston um, with finding a new job. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of something that, um, that, that is really good. That's awesome. And you're you're staying in the sports world as expected. So yes. that, that makes it fun. I love that. Uh, welcome to the working world. It's, Thank it's you. something else. <laughs> it is something. <laughs> That's is. awesome. Well, let's start today with the college world. We obviously have a lot more to talk about on that side of things right now. The elite world is kind of in a, a quiet time of year. Yep. That won't be the case for long with Tokyo looming. But for right now, it's it's kind of quieter given the camps and everything that they're starting to, to work out right now. But plenty of stuff to be talking about in the college world as season is getting closer and closer. But one thing that I want to ask you about before we dive into it, uh, a lot of schools are starting to announce, you know, signees and and future girls that are going to be joining teams uh, in the years to come. And it was announced that your sister is going to be joining the Razorback gymnastics team next year. And we've talked about it on this show, the fact that Jordan Weber has taken over that program and is now the head coach. And I, I know as a big sister, you've got to be beaming with pride that that she's going to get this opportunity in the SEC, just like you did. And how excited are you for her to be coached by one of the greats. I'm I'm so excited. I'm so proud of that kid. She has been through so many ups and downs. She's been really injured and there's just been a lot going on in her life as a as a little teenager. Um and you know, after some personal choices, uh, this was the best decision for her and I know she is so thrilled to be part of an up and coming program. When she was in the recruiting process, um I mean, this kid had every offer on the table. She had OU and LSU giving her offers. I mean, that's oh, the wow. number right. That's the number 1 and 2 school. I mean, this this kid is beyond talented, um, but she looked at Arkansas too, and she fell in love with it. She loved everything about it. The um, the 
God, what's the word? The facilities. Uh, she just yeah. she really, really loved it. But when you have offers like OU and LSU and, and you know, the bigger schools, you're going to look at success. And Arkansas, unfortunately, has not been one of those schools who's always a top contender. They're an SEC school and they're fun to watch. And every year they're getting better. But unfortunately, they're not one that is always in the talk of, you know, winning a title. Um, but like we've talked with Jordan Weber stepping to the picture, I mean, that is going to be tremendous for that program. And I'm so excited and so proud for Emma to be stepping into that light and being able to be one of those pioneers to help that program take a leap into success. That is so exciting. I mean, I feel very strongly that it is only a matter of time before Arkansas climbs in the ranks, especially Absolutely. in the SEC. I think just like your sister is seeing these young athletes are going to want the opportunity to be coached by Jordan Weber and the staff that they're bringing in. And listen, Fayetteville is one of those SEC cities that is a hidden gem. I don't think people realize like every time I get a work assignment, because I work for the SEC network, Fayetteville is one of my top that I love love going to. There are some SEC schools that I'm like, oh crap, I'm not even going to tell you which ones, but there are just some cities that just don't do it for me. Fayetteville is a awesome town. It is a family atmosphere. The school is great. Like you said, the facilities are great. What Mark Cook built at that program all those years ago, Jordan Weber taking the baton and running with it, it's going to be a recipe for success. So I'm so excited. We're going to have a personal tie to it for your sister. Uh, Get some insight on everything that they're building there. But I've I really do feel strongly that that's going to be a program on the rise and it's, it's going to start to rise very quickly. I think she's going to have an immediate impact. So Congratulations to your sister. That is so exciting. I'm curious, how would you explain her as a gymnast versus you and your mom as a gymnast? Like (laughs) what what kind of like style does she have? Sure. So I always joke with people that my my sisters and I are like a Punnett square. I don't know how many of you guys remember the Punnett square in biology, but like (laughs) it's we are the perfect mixture. Like my older sister has like dark hair, dark eyes. And then Skyla and I, the middle two have like hazel eyes, light hair. And then Emma has blonde hair, blue eyes, and she's tall and skinny. Skyla and I are short and more muscular and Shayla's short and like thinner. It's so, it's so funny. We're all such a mix of different um, body types and personalities. Uh Um, But Emma is, I mean, that kid's a jack of all trades. She can flip, she can twist. She's strong. She's powerful. Um, Our form has probably been her biggest thing, but that has gotten better over the years. Um, but I mean, you you tell a kid, you tell that kid to do a scale, and she can do it. Like she mm. is beyond talented. She can swing bars. I was not able to do that. Um, she can tumble like crazy, which is funny because she is taller and and leaner in muscle mass. So um, it's just she she can really do it all. She really can. That's awesome. Well, I will be excited to watch her in the SEC competition. I know you will too. We're used to seeing your mom in the stands at your meet, smelling and jumping all over. Now it's going to be you and your mom cheering for your sister. So that is super exciting. Uh, Along that same storyline, like I said, a lot of schools are starting to announce commits and and girls that we're going to see in years to come. Florida has snagged a couple big names. It has been announced that Riley McCusker and Morgan Hurd are to join the Gators team in the upcoming seasons. And I just think 
listen, Florida has has kind of had this this pattern. They they get a lot of Team USA girls mm-hmm. uh, in years past, and obviously, when you start developing that pattern, it does continue because then For it's sure. it, the recruiting aspect is also because they have friends there. So that that starts to to bring them in. And I think this Florida team is is really laying a great foundation for years to come. But what's interesting in in the college world is these elite athletes making the transition because it is a very different competition. We have seen sometimes it's the JO girls that come and really make a stance in the MCAA world because the elites have to relearn how to have fun with it, how to let loose a little bit more on floor and and things like that. But uh, what excites you about some of these big names coming into the NCAA world? I mean, it's hard for me to like kind of answer that as a fan just because in a sense I've been through that transition. So I kind of know what they're going to be feeling and, and how it's going to look for them. I mean, everyone's different, of course, but um, it's a really tough transition. It's really hard. And like you were saying, for them to have to like relearn how to have fun. And, and uh, for most of them, you know, they go from these huge, gigantic, big skills. And, you know, a lot of their basics are, are barely even there anymore because they're so used to doing these difficult skills. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find that balance of watering it down and being able to, to do that. That. And and you know what? Elites aren't com- used to competing every single week. And so that's going to be a big transition for them too. But, you know, it, it takes freshman year is really hard and it takes the whole year to really adjust and kind of understand um, the culture of what your program is and what the sport of college gymnastics is like. Um, but, you know, with Riley McCusker and, and Morgan, you know, it's interesting to me that they signed. Um, I'm, I don't remember if any of them said anything about deferring for Tokyo, but that that's going to be really just a lot on their plate if they're thinking about doing summer and then going right into um to school right after that ruby harold a part of the lsu team she's a senior this year she did that um i remember she was in rio and she came like a week later it was insane she literally went from the olympics to baton rouge and for her that's an entire different culture that she has to completely (laughs) get accustomed to i mean we're talking new food new water in a sense you know i mean she's getting adjusted to more than just gymnastics um and that was really hard for her so um, it'll be interesting to see how those two specifically um, going to Florida will handle um, the the rise of Tokyo coming around the corner as well as school. It's so true. I, I mean, I think you know what kind of talent and athleticism you're getting from gymnasts like that, but you don't necessarily know how they're going to handle the change of environment. I mean, we've right. seen it right. across like people like Maggie Nichols didn't skip a beat, but then there were people like Madison Koshin who needed some time to adjust. And so absolutely, you you see both sides of it. And I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what those girls do, but it's, it's great for college gymnastics to get big names like that. And I, I commend those girls for seeing the value in NCAA gymnastics because it it is continuing to grow and and it's something they want to be a part of so it's great for the sport all around um our other topic of discussion in the college world which like I said at the beginning is actually something that Olivia Karras who is joining us soon actually I saw a tweet of hers and I texted McKenna and I was like hold up this is an interesting point like should we talk about this and, and McKenna was like yeah let's do it is there a perception-based judging bias in college gymnastics. What I mean by that is dependent on the school that is on the floor and the reputation that that program and those gymnasts have, does that affect scoring in meets? And 
I think as somebody who has worked around the sport for the past few years, it absolutely does. And I think it's unfortunately just a a difficult aspect of the sport because it is completely by judging. Like there's no other way around it. It's not like any other sport where the ball goes in the basket or the guy goes in the end zone. Right. Like it is based on the opinion of someone who is deemed an expert and their scoring of what you're doing. But is it human nature for these judges to see a an Oklahoma leotard or a Florida leotard and automatically assume that it has to be a little bit higher? Otherwise, it wouldn't be at Florida. But if a school right. like Missouri comes in, are they maybe getting some some deductions based on the expectation of that program? I I feel like I have seen it as a spectator of the sport, but I would love to hear it. Uh, from a former gymnast perspective, McKenna, have you felt like that has been a narrative in college gymnastics? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it is a shame. It really is a shame because you have some standout gymnasts from schools like you mentioned, Missouri, or even from Arkansas, who deserve a 10 more than someone from OU or more mm-hmm. than someone from LSU or Florida. You know, it, it really is a shame that the judges can't just judge what they're seeing. They, they, they should, it should not matter what's happened even the weekend before. Every day, every meet is completely, I'm a little heated if you can't tell because it's so frustrating. <laughs> it it's is. so frustrating. Um, you know, but it, there's so much to it. I mean, even even your school, the way they market, even the way they post on social media, I mean, the what they're showing with inner squads, I mean, that judges are watching that, fans are watching that, and and they feed off of each other. That bias is is a whole community in itself. And whatever if you if you are watching someone's leap series on beam and it's not 180 you're gonna watch as a judge you see that on the on social media and then you go to the meet and you already have this preconceived notion of oh so and so didn't hit doesn't hit a 180 all the time so you're already Mm. thinking in your head what you're looking for as far as you know if you see maggie nichols even if she has a knee bend or even sarah finnegan if they have a knee bend on something you're gonna be like oh well it's so and so and and she got this last season or last meet so you know i'm just gonna it it really is totally biased and i I feel like olivia is gonna say the same thing just because especially her school michigan is one of the schools who's always able to get to the national championship and then maybe because of judging they don't make it to the final four you know and it's it really is a shame and I hope we can break that bias and we can just judge gymnastics for what it is and not for who it is. That's interesting. I, I feel like that is, it holds such weight because this isn't, in college gymnastics, it's not just about who wins a meet anymore. Like we are talking about long-term goals of the season. We are talking about implications on recruiting. Like everything that these gymnasts can attain and achieve in their college career has a tie to the judging. And so they mm-hmm. hold so mm-hmm. much responsibility. And it's I think not even should, in our own hands. Absolutely. I think they should be held accountable for that and and rewatch some of the meets that they're judging and maybe see where they were too tight or too lenient and then be honest with themselves. Like, right. was this because of the leotard that was in front of me? Because if yep. that's the case, we have a ton of problems with the sport. And honestly, it's part of why it's hindering the sport from growing in its prominence because there People seems to be- People get tired of it. Yeah, there seems to be they, such a flaw in the very foundation of the sport. 
Because you go into the national championship and everyone already thinks, well, well, OU's going to win again. And that is frustrating. Yeah. And that makes it boring and it's repetitive. It's like at some point there has to be an upset. When UCLA won, even though LSU didn't get to win, it was still <laughs> fun to see another team win. It was still – and that made it yeah. even more exciting for next year because now you have two teams with chips on their shoulders trying to get that first place. So it makes it fun. Um, last year, I believe, there was a gymnast, Sierra Kraus. I might – that last name might be wrong, but she was from Nebraska. Yep. And when I say she did the most perfect textbook, one and a half Yurchenko on vault, I mean, it stuck it. It was, it had distance, it had height. The form was absolutely perfect and she did not get a 10 mm. I mean, and if maybe if she was wearing an Oklahoma Leo, she would have gotten that 10 It is frustrating. I mean, we've seen, we've seen videos of girls taking hops and getting tens. And you're like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Are you absolutely kidding? If she wasn't wearing that Leo, she wouldn't have gotten that. I mean, it, it is it is a very big issue that it, that has to change. It just it, has to. Well, and it, it makes you think maybe a replay system would help. I, I mean, like right. so often it, we, we get it on television and we can put it in slow-mo and things like that. But are the judges getting the opportunity to look at something that closely? Should we have some somewhat of an official if if a coach decides to challenge a judging and they and they go back and maybe what they deducted for a movement on the landing? If they watch a slow mo replay, they could reward that back. I don't know. It just it, it does seem really it, it seems like there is there's already so many limitations in the sport of right. gymnastics, and if we're gonna have perception bias and a sport that is viewed as successful or not based on the opinion and the eyesight of a human being and we're all flawed like hate to break it to you but those judges sitting there in the blue blazers aren't perfect they could blink or sneeze or have a contact mess up and (laughs) and your real score is dependent on that and it just seems like there should be more precautions taken to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen but I, I just got to think it, it's got to be frustrating for the athletes, especially, listen, we see some really talented athletes decide to go to these smaller programs for a chance yep. to really help establish it and build yep. something from the ground up. Don't hinder those just because of where they are, because then you're Absolutely. also hindering the program from growing. Yeah. The first person I think of when you say that is Lexi Ramler at Minnesota. I mean, that girl is she's her gymnastics is very reminiscent of Maggie Nichols. They have that hmm. kind of that arch to them, if that makes sense. They've got yeah. this flick to them, this gracefulness yet power. Um, it's a little slow, but it's so flowy in the air. And Lexi Ramler is an unbelievable gymnast who can especially on bars. Um, you could put her in an OU lineup and that kid would go 10 every time, but does her score you know, is it hindered, like you were saying, because she's not wearing that leotard? It's, it's, I mean, I could talk about this all day. It is not fair. <laughs> it's just not. It really, yeah, it's, it's difficult. The problem is there's very little that you can do to fix it, but uh, hopefully there are enough uh, people involved now, just like the ambassador program that you are a part of, and even something as small as this podcast, like there are enough people out there that are trying to get the sport to the height that it should be at. And so hopefully more steps will be taken to make sure that that is, is not a reality that gymnasts have to think of as if y'all don't have enough to be focusing on, like, (laughs) good Lord, now you got to worry about it. You know, what if this judge has something against my school or what, like Mm -hmm. none of that, we don't need any of that right now. Um, well, Olivia is the one who tweeted something about that saying that if, 
uh, it was a Nasio Yukin beam routine that somebody had tweeted and she retweeted it and said, if this had been a big 10 school, it would have been scored a nine, three, five. So she even sees <laughs> the difference within conferences. I I'm sitting here talking oh, about absolutely. Teams team and she sees it alive based on conference because we are just all expecting PAC 12 and sec to be the powerhouses. But there are some other dark horses around the country that should not be held to any kind of lower score just because they're not in one of those power five conferences. LSU, uh, this was last year, my senior year, we went to Arizona. We competed at Arizona. And this was like the first time, really, I, I remember being out of the SEC conference. I'm probably totally wrong on that. But um, we were at Arizona. The time change was crazy. I mean, we were competing at like 11 p.m. Our best gymnastics was not out on the floor. We got two tens that night. That makes me really what? wonder. Yes, that makes me wonder you know, are those judges thinking, oh, LSU's coming, you know? I mean, granted, we're a, we are a powerhouse team and we, we are very good, but that makes me wonder, are they having that preconceived notion of, oh, LSU's coming, obviously everyone get ready, we're going to be throwing up some big scores. That's not fair to Arizona. And that also makes right. me think, well, no wonder OU wins everything in their conference. Maybe they're not competing against the tough teams. And same thing with other schools. It, it makes me wonder, you know, that is that bias on conferences as well. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to Olivia more about that. She'll be able to give us more insight. Um, you know, I can only speak for the SEC, but she, she could definitely give us some more insight on that. That's very interesting. And, and you're even able to acknowledge it when you were on the positive end of it. So it's, it's absolutely definitely obvious when, when you're on the negative side of that. So we will bring her in in a moment. Like I said, not a ton to talk about in the elite world, but we did mention this story last week on the podcast. So just want to follow up uh, that Laurie Hernandez had been invited to the Team USA camp in Florida this past weekend. We were all anticipating if she was going to attend the camp and, and does that essentially announce her official return and attempt at Tokyo. And she did return to the camp. So we can all just assume that she is she is chasing a comeback. This is I mean, this is going to be a challenge for her. I think as as great as she is, and as much success as we all saw her achieve, she's got a lot of ground to cover to try and get one of those few spots for Tokyo. Absolutely. She has a lot like in a, in a weird way, she has a lot to prove of you know, obviously she's she went to the Olympics lot four years ago. So in that sense, no, it's not that she has to prove, oh, can I do it? We know she can do it. It's it's, you know, how is she going to? And if she's able right. to step into that light and kind of beat those other kids out. Yeah, and it I did read an article where it said that she has been in touch with Allie Raceman just about how to kind of go about all of sure. this, you know, taking the time away. And and you got to think she had it in her mind that she was done, right? I mean, what better yeah, way course. to end, you know, your your Olympic run than what they did? And, and a year later, she's like, okay, you know what? I actually want to try again. And that's not an easy transition. And you are mm -mm. flooded with doubt and, and questions if you can do it again, if you should do it again. Just like right. Alicia Sacramoni was telling us last week, like she just randomly had this moment and she called her best friend and she called her boyfriend and everybody was like, uh, do it if you yeah. want to. Like there is a lot of risk involved in that. Like could you take the chance of, of – 
failing and, and that's, are you going to feel uneasy about your career if that's how you ended? Whereas if you walk away now, you, you right. exit the sport a winner and it's on your terms. Yep. So yep. that's, that's not an easy decision. I, I don't envy her having to make that call, but listen, if, if she feels that this sport is still bringing her joy and, and she thinks that this is where she's meant to be and what she's meant to be doing, then all the power to her. Absolutely. Uh, why not go for it? I, I mean, I guess that's a mentality you have to have. Absolutely. And again, like we said last week, it does. I don't know. I, I do have a bit of a soft spot for the other girls that have yet to have their Olympics. I know. It's I just know. like, I mean, I know it's that's only- not reality just because, you know, the the country needs the best athletes out there. And if Laurie right, proved right. herself to be one of them, then give her the shot. But it, it is difficult for these girls that, you know, sat and, and watched Laurie and, and Simone and all those girls have their shot at that dream. And, and they've yeah. been training for this to be theirs in 2020. And, and the potential of it to be ripped away for a veteran is is difficult. The bitterness comes from the fact that only four can make it. That's, that is what is so frustrating. If you looked on Lori's Instagram, even the other girls who attended the camp, you saw so many pictures and everyone's so happy and you know, they're all really good friends. And it's like in that giant group of girls, only four are going to make it. And it's, it's disheartening. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, like you're saying, it's, it's, I guess whoever's the best. Only time will tell. We will certainly see. Also, just have to go ahead and announce that the uh, Team USA Awards were held last night in LA. There was an award ceremony. And no surprise here, Female Olympic Athlete of the Year goes to Simone Biles. And really, I just feel like a broken record every time we talk about her. So I think that about sums it up. I just want to say congrats to Simone. (laughs) Go ahead and add it to the long list of awards you got there, girl. We're, uh, We're all proud of everything that you're accomplishing and honestly at this point she's like how much do awards really mean anymore you know what I mean like she's probably like awesome let's go get pizza I I would imagine (laughs) totally oh man what a gal uh, all right, everybody. Well, we are going to bring Olivia Karras in, like we said, talk about that ongoing debate in the college world and, and catch up with her. She's been doing some writing for Flow Gymnastics and just doing some, di- like you, McKenna, transitioning into that real world life after yep. your sport. So we're excited to catch up with her. We're going to bring her in in just a minute. All right, everybody, now for the fun part. We are so excited to be joined by former Michigan gymnast Olivia Karras. And like I said earlier, she's a good friend of McKenna's. We are so excited to have her on and talk about her experience in the college world and some of those discussions that we had earlier in the show. So, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. As I texted McKenna, I am thoroughly honored to be asked onto the podcast. We are honored that you joined so us. Fun. We really are. We uh we we love just getting different insight and different experiences from the college world, the elite world. So this is gonna be awesome. We're excited to have you. Um I'll just get going with the, you know, more general. Let's just talk about, you know, your time in the college world. You were a very successful gymnast at Michigan. You guys, you know, had that national championship experience last year after the new regional format was implemented. And, I mean, you've been a part of some great things during your time there. How how was it for you to, to be a college gymnast at Michigan? Yeah, well, thank you for the wonderful and nice introduction. That was so <laughs> kind. Um, it's my job, girl. So, <laughs> So Michigan, I, um, I could not say more positive things about my experience as a Wolverine. I came to Michigan 
wanting to be somewhere close to home. I'm from Chicago, but also far enough away that my parents couldn't bother me every weekend. Sorry, mom and dad. (laughs) I get it. But um, (laughs) I wanted something that was for me, but also wasn't too far away so that my family could come see me compete and I still could be uh, near them for holidays and everything. So Michigan seemed like the perfect choice for me. Uh, And when I walked into the gym, our gym and uh, actually our gym and LSU's gym, I think were like designed by the same person and they're very similar in how they look. They're very open. There's a lot of light that shines into it. And I remember, yeah, it's amazing. And I remember when I walked into um, the Don Shepard facility I like I swear it was as if someone knew I was there and was trying to get me to come there because light came in through the windows and like on all the banners hanging <laughs> from the ceiling and oh I was my like gosh. oh my gosh like how could you not come here it's just like <laughs> it's almost like the angels are descending and singing and it's yeah. meant to happen but <laughs> but I yeah instantly fell in love and the love just grew during my four years there, I was really lucky to be a part of four very different but very great teams and did it all with my, I call her my um, right-hand man, Emma McLean, who was the fellow senior with me that just graduated. We did pretty much everything together, and it was so nice to have both a teammate and a lifelong friend that came from college gymnastics. So, I mean, you can't ask for much more, right? Oh, my god, That's awesome. I'm sure that's very relatable for a lot of young gymnasts. You you got to be a part of something really fun and special at Michigan. You also got to be coached by one of the longest tenured coaches in the sport, Bev Clocky. She has led Michigan to 24 Big Ten championships, which is the most by any coach in any sport in the conference history. So both of you actually got to be coached by, in their own right, like, pioneers for the sport of gymnastics and coaches that have really made a mark on their program. So Olivia, what was it like to be coached by her and and what kind of an impact did she have on you? Yeah, Bev is awesome. She breathes Michigan pride and passion. And I think that I can, I don't know Dee, but from watching her as a coach, I can assume similarly that she yeah. breathes tiger passion. But Bev always jokes with us about how Michigan was her is her only job she came out of school and she applied for the position at I think 23 or 24 after her she finished I think she did her master's and she got the job so her only job in her entire life has been being a college coach for the Michigan Wolverines and she always says when people say what's a fun fact about you that's her fun fact but I think (laughs) that speaks volumes about her dedication to building a dynasty and building a program that isn't just about gymnastics it's about what you leave with the girls and what the girls take away from the program and she's she's just so cool I don't know how she does it I don't know how she stayed focused for that long it's extremely impressive and how she's had so many different personalities to juggle I mean myself included I I don't know how she did four years with me I like I'm just a I'm a ball of energy and she just she makes it work it's it's really impressive so she's she's awesome I just couldn't say more positive things about her 
That's awesome. Also wanted to ask you, I, I noticed that you had done a little bit of writing lately for Flow Gymnastics. I actually saw one of your yeah on the website. And that kind of ties into another question that, you know, McKenna and I talk about a good bit. It's just kind of the transition after a sport like gymnastics that really has required your entire like life's commitment. I mean, that's a sport that you start so young and, and you really don't get a break from. And now when you're kind of thrust out of it and you're like, okay, what now? Um, how has that transition been like for you? And how do opportunities like that, getting to write about the sport or continue to talk about the sport, how does that kind of help you in the transition? I mean, it is amazing that we have an outlet like that to be a part of, especially where people have written about us in the past and then for us to say, oh, we want to uh, contribute and write as well. I mean, that that's what it's all about. That's keeping your foot in the door with the sport and enjoying doing it so much that you enjoy writing about it. Um, sure. I'm also such a writing junkie that like, I love writing. I love taking some time every day to just jot down how I'm feeling or jot down something funny that happened to me that day. I just like to keep myself on the paper as well as uh, talking. I think it's important for me. And so being able to use my gymnastics love in a way that I can contribute that to other people, have them read about kind of my writing and my life with gymnastics. I just think it's great. And flow really opens up a lot of opportunities for us to do things like that. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Because the transition's not easy. It's no, a lot. You go from structure every day to cardio workouts, practice, homework, travel, try to be an 18 to 22-year-old girl and have some kind of life, yeah. get sleep. Like, it's really hard. And then you just kind of get a blank slate and everyone's like, good luck in the real world. And you're <laughs> like, oh, okay, thanks. So no one's going to tell me to take another right turn because I have to I have to do it myself yep right. yep that's what I was telling Taylor like the hardest part is there is zero accountability and too much freedom you know we've had a sport our whole life where someone's written the assignments for us and always told us what to do and are we a perfectionist and are we extremely hardworking and do we always get it done with excellence absolutely but now that has to come from ourselves and that's the hardest part is taking that first step but that is so heartwarming about the writing i love that you know that about yourself like that's how you um you know stay true to yourself is writing and, and it's cool that that comes full circle for you in the sense of like you can still be involved with the sport just in a whole new way that is still like brings you joy i love that that is really cool Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually like, this is the first time I'm kind of like announcing it, but my dad and I are actually writing a book together about oh uh, raising a one athlete. Yeah. What? So it's kind of from his perspective and my perspective of raising a D1 athlete um, and just like the parent side of it, the athlete side of it. And we've been working on it since uh, I graduated and we're chugging along. So uh, hopefully that kind of amounts to something in the future. We don't really know what we're going to like. We don't expect anything of it. It's just been fun to have that similar passion and fun experience of writing with my dad. And we've just had like the best time doing it. So I, I can't wait for that to hopefully hit the stands and people to read about, you know, the light. That, that is, is so, so cool. cool. Wow, I love Thank that. Thank you. I'm 
we have talked about it. It's it's kind of part of why we we started this podcast because gymnastics is a sport where just like you're saying your your dad's experience of raising a D1 athlete and having a gymnast and and what that's like as a parent. There are so many different facets of this sport that so many people do find interesting. There's just not a ton of platforms for it. So no, it, that, no that not needs at to all. Continue to rise and, and more people need to have the opportunity to get their stories out there. Well, before we let you go, Olivia, like I mentioned at the beginning, want to talk to you about um, a tweet of yours that actually sparked our conversation this week on the podcast and something that uh, I have noticed in the sport after working in it for years. McKenna has been privy to it as well as a gymnast and clearly uh, something that you have noticed in your experience as well. And that is perception-based judging bias. We kind of were talking about it just from school to school, obviously us usually being within the SEC, we were saying, you know, there is a difference if Florida walks on the floor and if Missouri walks on the floor and, and just how that impacts judging. But uh, you tweeted something about a Big Ten score. And so that that even seems to apply on a conference basis. And I think that's a really interesting conversation. I think it's it's absolutely a shame that the sport is still being affected by things like that. But it's a reality of the foundation of the sport that it is affected by human judgment. So uh, give me kind of your perspective on that problem and, and maybe a personal experience that you've had in that realm. Yeah, so I, obviously the Big Ten is uh, – the Big Ten is a great conference. I think it is very much up and coming with the talent and the coaching. I think that the Big Ten is definitely overshadowed by uh, conferences like the SEC, the Pac-12, and uh -huh. recently the Big 12 with Denver really kicking it up a notch and Oklahoma being super dominant. Yeah. So I, I've always felt that – Big Ten judging is extremely tough. And I, I'm a firm believer that if you make a mistake, you should not get a huge score. It should be very evident that if you take a step, that is a 10. If you hop, depending on the size, that is a 10. It doesn't matter what leotard you're in, what conference you're in. And that's something I, I've struggled with a lot being in the Big Ten, especially with I have a, um, I had a teammate who's now a sophomore. She actually won the um, NCAA beam title this year, um, Natalie Wojcik, and she stuck four vaults in a row from her first meet as an NCAA athlete to her fourth meet. She stuck four consecutive vaults and not one of them got a 10 and they were wow. stunning. Like I, we're very hard on ourselves, but everyone was like, I mean, is there any chance? someone right. did it like hello and by the third time it started sparking interest with other um athletes maggie nichols quote tweeted one of them and was like are you kidding me danusha francis did and finally at one of our meets she landed a vault really weird she stuck it but it wasn't perfect and she got a 10 and mm. i remember talking to her after the meet and she was like that was so not a 10 but i did four others that i thought were better than that so i guess it makes up for it but it was so like, first of all, mature child for saying that. But yeah. second of all, like, it, it's so frustrating when you can do such a flawless, flawless routine and be from one of the smaller schools or one of the schools not in the big conferences and just get gypped. It happened at regionals this year for us, too, where Taylor Houchin from Nebraska stuck an absolutely beautiful Yurchenko one and a half and didn't get a 10. And there were 10s tossed the entire meet on routines that were good. They were not 10s. 
So I, I just, you know, it's going to be a struggle forever. The subjectivity is impossible to escape, but especially being an athlete in the Big Ten, I, I feel like it's really been something that's hurt us more than helped us. And even, I mean, the joke is that we compete at Chrysler Arena. The joke is no one gets a 10 at Chrysler. That's just oh, wow. the joke that Michigan judges are so hard that even anyone who comes there, just no one gets a 10 in Chrysler. I only saw one 10 in my entire career at Chrysler and it was Nicole Arts in 2017. So it just, no one gets a 10 there. It's just how it works. So I don't know. I mean, I wish it could change, but how would it? That's it's an ongoing conversation of does everyone need to be in a black or white leotard just to say we don't care what school you're at, this is how it wow. works. But that's not what college gymnastics is about. It's about the school pride. So right. I don't know. It'll be a forever debate. That's interesting. I mean, listen, if we're talking about wanting to help the sport and wanting to grow the sport, talking about things like this and giving it, you know, a voice and, and bringing it forward to an audience is going to help in that. I mean, like it's only going to grow if, if the positives and the negatives are pointed out. So I think this is a very needed conversation. And, and just like you said, bringing that to the forefront and tweeting about it and, and kind of getting people in on the conversation, it can affect change. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you can take this one of two ways, and, and I want to know from a gymnast perspective how difficult it is, because I feel like if you know that reality and you've experienced that reality, it can either really discourage you and you can kind of take on the mentality of, well, I have no shot of getting a 10 because I'm not, you know, at Oklahoma or whatever, or do you take on the mentality of, I'm going to literally execute it to where no one is going to be able to deny that it was a wrong score. How difficult is that kind of internal debate when you know that this is a reality, but you still have to continue to try and give your best? It's so hard, especially when you know you have to hit big to either win the meet or qualify you somewhere. Um, I mean, it's extremely difficult. And I think something that we – I don't know about you, McKenna, but at Michigan, we really focused on focus on ourselves and the controllables and like, don't give them anything to take. And if they take something that's simply out of our control, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things that becomes very frustrating when you know that the ability for you to get that coveted perfect score diminishes because of the school you attend or the arena you attend I mean I've had certain meets where it's just a high scoring meet and you go into it and people can be making 10th mistakes but they're consistent across the board with a 10th for us today is going to be a half 10th right or a half 10th for us today is going to be a no 10th Mm -hmm. and sometimes that happens and you see meets where you're like wow neither of those should have been that but oh, yeah. they were consistent at least well, like at it. least yeah. Yeah. there was consistency where you can make a firm argument for they competed on the same day with the same judges and they were scored the same but it, that doesn't mean that it's not inflated significantly you're just like 198 okay let's take a step <laughs> back here but it's how it is I mean it's the worst but how it is and that's what I think they're trying to do with the six judge panel but even there you still there's just no 
yeah. good way to do it. Well, if you see, and if all six judges have the same bias, you're not like, exactly. you're going to get the same thing. And like you're saying, you know, the first meet, I'm, I'm just Oklahoma, they go 198. And it's like every judge across the nation that's going to come across them is going to already have this notion. Oh, they're a 198 team. It's like, no, like you were saying, it could have just been a high scoring meet to where those tenths of deductions were half tenths or quarter tenths. And it's like, that is where the frustration comes in because then fans feed into, oh, they're a 198 team. And then judges feed into that. And you've created this this stage for them that maybe they're not even a 198 team, but you've already convinced everyone that they are. And so you get to the national and even championships. On the flip, right. Ahead, and on the flip side of that, then yep. there's teams that come out of the gate 195-esque and yep. they don't get looked at as a 197 plus team. Yep. And those are the teams, like I remember there was a tweet that went around of a girl from a D3 school. I do not remember the school. Um, stuck a Yurchenko one and a half and went nine six. And I remember oh, wow. watching it and thinking, oh, that's right. Are I remember. you actually it's, it's serious? Trash. It, it is beautiful. It's so not cool. It's so not cool. It's they, 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 that is doing a disservice to our sport and it makes it not fun. And it makes, it makes other girls who can't go to the schools like, oh, you feel like a failure because they can't, they never right. feel like they're going to get what, you know, all their hard work isn't going to pay off and they're not going to get the scores they deserve. And it's like, my argument here is you judge the gymnastics that you see. It does not matter what they did the week before. It doesn't matter what they did last year. It's, it's right here, right now. And there are absolutely athletes from the big name schools that perform routines that are no doubt 10. You see it and absolutely. you go, yep. All right. There Ten. you go. That was fantastic. That, you know, like, I think Nicole Lehrman stuck her vault at NCAA finals as the leadoff and went nine, nine, five. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it. there was okay. nothing yep. wrong with it. Like it was beautiful. <laughs> so there are times where that happens. And then there's times where you just see it and you think, I don't know how you came up with that. I yep. just don't. Yep. It's certainly going to continue to impact the sport. We were saying it's, it's going to have an impact on recruiting too. And, and you don't want to just continue to build these same uh, powerhouse programs with all the talent. Like you want to see it distributed because gymnastics does, it does rely on the individual as much as the college world is a team sport. Like the individual is what makes up that team's success. So like you, you don't want to just encourage all of these like high level recruits to go to the same school because then we're going to see monotony across college gymnastics and I think that the implementation of the new regional format helps with that because it, it, it just comes down to what you do on that given day to get you a shot at the national championship but just across the board and, and for the, the growth of the sport I think judging it, there has to be a high high expectation and they have to be held accountable for it and you guys are right this is going to be an ongoing debate and, and unsure what more can be done about it but uh, I'm hopeful that the people that do have a hand in it will will strive to make it something that we we can't have this conversation yeah right. right and like not to embarrass myself in front of a bunch of people but the only thing that like gets my heart rate up now when I try working out is re-watching gymnastics meets so oh I've gosh. just been like crawling through different meets that happened in the past and I stumbled upon Kentucky, Georgia today, where Alicia and um, John Roethlisberger did their JNA Academy. 
and they broke down a routine, a bar routine, and essentially said, here's what the judge gave it, here's what John gave it, and here's what Alicia gave it, and John ended up giving it a 995. Alicia was like, are you crazy? I had a 9825, and here's oh, why, and wow. she broke it down and was like, I would have taken for that back break, or this knee, and whatever, and Pike down on the discount, even though it was a stick. And I was right. just, I remember I watched it and I was like, that is what we need more of. That yes. is what people need to understand. This is actually why they took a deduction and it's justifiable. It's not, I don't like the color red. Yeah. It's literally like, there's, there's your there's deduction error. and there's why. Yes. Well, and I think there's a direct correlation between an educated audience and accurate judging because I think if these judges are sitting here going oh no one watching this is going to have the knowledge and understanding to correct me then they are going to be able to walk away with those types of scenarios if we are educating people and getting this sport to a higher platform just like when we see in football if a referee makes a bad call it is on Twitter for weeks everyone taking screenshots and putting it in slow-mo and explaining why it was a terrible call that is very rare in gymnastics unless you get it from former gym who deeply understand the sport. So even in the broadcast and, and things that we're continuing to try and do to help educate audience members, I think we'll continue to see uh, it, it tighten up a little bit on the judging, or at least I'm hopeful. I agree completely. I just, the more awareness to it, the better. And I think that definitely this past year with the new regionals format and with the um, activity on social media about it, I think that there's really been a spike in interest and awareness. So I hope that continues. We absolutely agree. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome back here anytime. You guys, thank you. <laughs> I'm honored. It was so fun. I could talk gymnastics all day. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us here on Chalk Talk. McKenna and I love breaking everything down for you in the world of gymnastics. We're getting some great guests every week, like our girl Olivia. So everyone, make sure you subscribe, listen to us every week, leave a comment if you'd like. Everyone have a great <laughs> week. Be sure and join us again next week for McKenna and myself. Everyone have a great week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.